Wednesday, April the 27th in the year of our Lord, 2022, and you're listening to Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we are going to be going back and taking a look again at Proverbs. We're going to be in Chapter 8. Last week, what with Holy Week and such, we had skipped the, the book of Proverbs, but we're back into it. And so we're taking a look at Proverbs 8. Now, up to Proverbs 8, we have been listening to Solomon talking to his son a number of times, giving him advice as to how to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, beginning with Proverbs 8, he goes back to the idea of wisdom. In fact, This is the second poem Solomon writes about wisdom. Uh, The first one was in the first chapter of Proverbs, verses 20 to 31. This poem is Proverbs 8, 1 to 11. Now, I'm, I'm going to read the first three verses of Proverbs 8 uh, to show you how difficult it is to understand the Bible. What? Well, that's why you need a pastor who's been trained properly at a seminary and has the understanding of Hebrew and Greek, etc. Here's the first three verses. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, She takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud. Now, if you're in front of a congregation or a Bible study of youth and you ask, what is this talking about? I doubt whether very many people are going to give you the proper answer. Uh, particularly when we talk about raising her voice, taking her stand, crying aloud. She does that. Well, the fact of the matter is, is as we learned from the road to Emmaus trip of Jesus with the two disciples, the whole Bible is really best understood when talking about Jesus Christ the savior of the world. And therefore, when Solomon is inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen the book of Proverbs, the author being the Holy Spirit, the idea of wisdom is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the personification of wisdom as explained in the Old Testament. But I know what you're going to say. How come the feminine is used? Raise her voice, takes her stand. She cries aloud. Why is that in the feminine? If it's about Jesus, wasn't he masculine? Well, there's no doubt he's masculine. But listen to the first line. Does not wisdom call out? Now, in the book of the Old Testament, written in Hebrews, 
you have to understand that in the Hebrew language, nouns were genderized. What I mean by that, they could be male, a female noun, or a neuter noun. And the word wisdom is specifically feminine. Therefore, when you're talking about wisdom, it's talking about her voice, her stand, she crying aloud. But it's very clear from the Bible that wisdom is referring to none other than Jesus Christ. So though the adjectives, when you're modifying the word wisdom, needs to be in the feminine case, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't wisdom. No, and this is very important. Does not wisdom call out? So let's think about Jesus. Does not Jesus call out? Then does not understanding raise her voice? Jesus is the source of proper understanding concerning God, his attributes, his identity, his message. In fact, we remember that from the Mount of Transfiguration, where God the Father says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Because through Jesus, Wisdom is calling out. Wisdom gives an understanding concerning God that is revelatory. Ooh, that's a big word, revelatory. What does that mean? Well, it is revealed. Take a look at every other religion in the world outside of Christianity. They are all natural religions in the sense that they come from the mind of man. Christianity comes from the mind and understanding of God. It has to be revealed. You don't have another religion anywhere in the entire world outside of Christianity that has God becoming a human being to save all of mankind. Every religion and I'll challenge anybody to find one that isn't like this, talks about the way of salvation is the way of doing good works. Every religion outside of Christianity has good works. And if you do them, God may like you, he may even love you, and then he may even save you. There's no guarantee of it. But this is why people are really concerned when they realize what sinners they are. They recognize that they're not worthy to go to heaven. In fact, this is a very common, very common among unbelievers. I'll talk to somebody and say, well, why don't you become a member of our church? And they'll say something along the lines, oh, I don't want to be a member of your church. I know your people there, and I know some of them, and they're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. 
Well, when I hear something like that, I respond, well, why don't you join us? We can use one more hypocrite. In other words, every member of the Christian church is a hypocrite in the sense that on the one hand, we proclaim Jesus as the way of salvation, but we keep forgetting about his resurrection and what he did for us. We do that every day. In fact, we confess that in the liturgy. When we say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, I have sinned against God by thought, word, and deed. That's forgetting about the benefits of the resurrection. In heaven, there will be no sin because we will be face-to-face to Jesus and we will remember all that he has done for us. And it's kind of like when you really have a close relationship, say with your spouse or with your children or maybe people at work or your neighbors, you really don't want to hurt them. If you saw, for example, your neighbor's house was on fire, you would immediately contact them and let them know to get out of the house and protect them. You wouldn't sit there and say, well, it's not my house. I might as well let it get on fire. No, you would call them. You would rescue them. You would call the fire department because of your concern for your neighbor. That's how Christianity works. There's no good works you can do in order to become saved. But once you realize that Jesus saves you, then you want to do good works. So Jesus is wisdom calling out. He's also giving understanding. That's why he raises the voice of wisdom. Verse 2, at the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Now, the original Hebrew here talks about at the head of heights over the road, where the crossroads meet, she takes her stand. In other words, she takes her stand where people are gathered. In fact, that's even more clear in verse 3. Beside the gate leading into the city, in other words, that has access into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. Now, you can't get into these cities, which has walls around them in those days, except through the gate. And there she is. She's beside the gate, crying aloud. Notice It doesn't say that she's beside the sanctuary or the temple or the church. Now, there's no doubt that God is there also, but his primary place is at the crossroads where people meet, where, guess what? You get access into the city. And that is doubly explained in verse 4. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. Now, I know some people are going to say, no, that, that's, you mean she only raises her voice to men? 
and not to women? Well, no, the point is what we would be making here is that mankind, and I don't understand why people don't understand this, mankind really refers to human beings. So all human beings hear the voice of wisdom, all genders, male or female. So that's clear from verse 4. To you, O people, I call out. Now, is she only calling out to believers? No, she's not in front of the door of the church in this case. She's at the gate of the entrance to the city. So verse 5 talks about to whom she is calling out. You who are simple gain prudence. You who are foolish set your hearts on it. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Those who are simple, uh, another translation is those who are gullible. Remember when Solomon is talking to his son, he's warning him uh, against not going with a woman of the street to whom he is not married because she is smooth talking. She can give him uh, a, a lot of things that makes him feel good about himself, says things to him that, well, I, I can go with her because she needs money to pay the priest for a sacrifice. That's what she says. Well, the problem is scripture does not permit such women to give sacrifices for that sin. And therefore, it's a lie on her part. She's trying to bring in religion to make it easier for men to do what she wants them to do to get her money. So these are the simple or gullible. They do not have prudence. They do not have wisdom. They all have a sinful nature. And in Proverbs, the opposite of wisdom is often the foolish. Wisdom is the believers. Foolish are the unbelievers. So Jesus, as wisdom, is raising her voice, taking her stand, crying aloud to all the people, and that includes the gullible which even Christians are at times, and the foolish. And we are to set our hearts instead on wisdom. And we cannot do that by ourselves. One of the most important verses to look at in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, and that refers to the unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to know them because they are discerned spiritually. Th this means you're really wasting your time in trying to prove the history of the Bible is correct. Because you can believe that the history of the Bible is correct and still go to hell. The devils, they believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. 
The Pharisees believed that. That's why they paid the soldiers to lie about it and say that the disciples came and stole the body. So believing in the resurrection doesn't save anybody. Now, that may sound strange to you, but it's not the historic event of the resurrection that saves, but it is the theological part of the resurrection that Jesus was crucified for your sin, paying for them, and he rose from the dead for your justification. Apart from those gospel promises, the history of the Bible doesn't save anybody. And so when we talk about proving the resurrection, if you're talking about whether it historically happened, well, it's just a waste of time. When I did my doctorate, I had read a hundred catechisms, and I was really surprised how many do not start the way Martin Luther's catechism starts, namely with the Ten Commandments, that is, the law, to show us that we have sinned, leading to the Apostles' Creed to show us that we are saved by Jesus. Many of the catechisms I read, you know how they began? Trying to prove the Bible was true. And that's a waste of time. Because even if you believe the Bible is true, for example, take creation versus evolution. There's no doubt that there is theological points about the creation, that that's when death came into the world. But there are people who are not Christian who don't believe in evolution, but believe in creation. And that's a good example to show that you can even believe in creation and still not be saved. So it's more than believing in creation, but believing in the promises connected to the creation, like in Genesis 3.15, that a Messiah will be sent. So here's Jesus raising his voice, taking his stand, crying aloud, and verse 6 says, Listen, for I have noble things to say. Trustworthy things to say is another translation. I open my lips to speak what is right. Now, we're living in a society in the United States where many people are saying what is not right, which is sinful behavior, sinful lifestyles. And yet they use excuses saying that, well, there's really love between people who have these sinful relationships, or that's the way God made me. So am I going to blame God for the way I was made? Forgetting about that they were conceived and born with original sin. The fact of the matter is, is only Jesus tells us trustworthy things to say. Then verse 7 he kind of goes back to Solomon and his advice to his son about staying away from wayward women who have mouths that really speak what is not true, but it kind of favors men. And he says, 
My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. In other words, he's making the distinction between Jesus as wisdom and the woman in the street. Her lips speak wickedness. And in fact, in the Hebrew, the antonym for just, namely true words, is the word wickedness. And that's what we hear a lot in this country and throughout the world. Wickedness, as though that's God's plan for us. Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. Now, another translation for perverse is twisted. So what Jesus is saying is that when you listen to him, you may be surprised at what he says, which is in contrast to the sinful words of the world. But they are just. They are true. They are understanding God as he truly is. None of the words that Jesus says is crooked or twisted. Then Jesus mentions to the discerning. Now, the discerning are those who have received faith through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they now understand reality from God's point of view. And so verse 9 says, to the discerning, all of these words are right. Now, another word for right there is plain, P-L-A-I-N. Now, when I teach youth confirmation, and we talk them, of course, the Trinity, at the end of it, if I ask, who is the Trinity? They will say, it is three persons, but one God. And, and there's plenty of evidence for that. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father speaks, Jesus is in the water, and the Holy Spirit is in the form of a dove. So three persons. They're distinct. Then when I ask the children, can you understand that? And they all say, no, we can't. And that's correct. You cannot use reason to get a person to become a Christian. Because as 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, they are all things foolish to him. Because until he discerns them spiritually, he cannot understand God. And that's why verse 9 says, to the discerning, all of them are plain. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Now, the word upright, I like the translation, they are uncomplicated. It's not complicated at all that God is three persons and one God. That fits with the scriptural evidence that we cannot understand it. That's what becomes complicated. Our, our reason cannot grasp the mysteries. For example, people go to the Lord's Supper. You give them a little bread, 
a little wine, and you say to them, this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, from a scientific point of view, you can analyze it. No, it's still bread. It's still wine. And yet we believe it's the body and blood of Christ because that's what he says. Take heat, this is my body. Take drink, this is my blood. For the forgiveness of sins. So those who are discerning, those who have found knowledge, these things are not complicated. They're hard to understand, but we believe them. Faith takes care of our problem of understanding. Verse 10, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Uh, the word often used in the Hebrew in Proverbs for instruction really is the term discipline. Because every time you instruct a child, it's usually because they're sinners and you're disciplining them because you don't want them to do sin. And therefore, that's what Proverbs is all about. It's a book of discipline so we can become his disciple, following Jesus in loving him and doing the works that he wants us to do. So instead of silver, instead of choice gold, choose the discipline of Jesus and his knowledge. And verse 11 summarizes in our passage. For wisdom, that's Jesus, is more precious than rubies, more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Now, that's the Hebrew referring to Jesus because wisdom is in the feminine. Nothing you can desire can be equal to Jesus. That's some really, really good news. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to be taking a look at another subject of what's going on in the world with Wes Reimnitz. I'm Tom Baker. And from a Law and Gospel point of view, helping you to understand theology from God's point of view. In other words, we're going to be using Jesus as wisdom so things are not complicated. That's the purpose of this program. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.